Open with a question. Have you ever noticed how imperfect other people are? Have you already noticed that? Not me, not you, but those others. Have you noticed that? Yes. It's not really surprising because you, you read a scripture like this and it says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? Wow. No wonder. No wonder. And you know, people can be such a disappointment. They really can. So there's other people. And the Bible has lots of examples of disappointing people showing their imperfections. Think about David's sin with Bathsheba. Disappointing? Yes, it's right up there, isn't it, with disappointing. Samson's failings with Delilah and others. Ananias and Sapphira, early on in the church, and their little affair with money. Disappointing? I think so. What about Abraham, father of the faith, telling lies about his wife? Not once, but twice. That's a bit disappointing. Now, we sort of read about people like that in the Bible, and they sort of like characters in the Bible, but they were real people with real families and real friends, weren't they? Now, imagine being their family, friends, and these sort of things happen. You know, you get out, you go out and, you know, you go to the barbecue and you hear about one of these things going, oh, you hear about Samson, cousin Samson. That's disappointing. Goodness. No matter what circles we move in, we are going to be dealing with imperfect people. And we may even see some of that imperfection reflected in us, possibly. And human, human imperfection overflows into behaviours that impact us in all kinds of different ways. And one of the main ways we get impacted is through our key topic today, disappointment. Here was a person who claimed to be this or claimed to be that and we find out they're not. It's a letdown. It brings sadness. It's just not right, we say to ourselves. And it's not just imperfect people that can cause us disappointments. Life in general can be full of disappointment. Much of our disappointment comes from just living in a fallen world. There's ageing, for some of us, loss, illness, failed expectations, missed opportunities. All these things can bring disappointment. Speaking about ageing, I was actually, we went down to Melbourne, we stayed at a friend's place and they laid out all these toiletries for you, for you as they do and one of the things they laid out was colour shampoo. Well, I used it and I was disappointed. It, um, <laughs> it didn't live up to my expectations. But, you know, just being in the world, just like that example, can be full of disappointments. You know, think about times when you were sure you were going to get that job. Didn't someone even give you a word about that? You were definitely going to get that job. God's given me a word and it went to someone else. It's disappointing. We were set for university. We we're going to go to medical school. We we're going to go to a teaching career. And what's happened? Well, we find ourselves pregnant. Not my experience, of course. But it happens. And it can be disappointing. Maybe a disabling sickness prevents us from going where we're headed. 
financial loss can prevent us. Hope of what would be, what could be, is now dashed and replaced with a different reality. The hope for reality is replaced with another reality and it's a disappointing reality. Now, obviously, as we talk about disappointment, there are degrees of disappointment. We're obviously talking about a more serious version today. You know, you can see, you can get the oldie magazine and you can see one of the guys, you know, we can see guys, oh, wow, they've got a great special on a compressor, $150 for a 50 PSI compressor. Fantastic. And we go down there on Saturday morning, we think we're early enough, and they're all sold out. Disappointment. But it shouldn't crush us, should it? I mean, last couple of weekends ago, there was a football match on, wasn't there? The mighty Bulldogs playing the not-so-mighty Swans, as it turned out. And had the Bulldogs lost, would I have been disappointed? Yes, absolutely. Would Would it have changed my life? I hope not. I hope not. I would have been more well off because I wouldn't have had to go and buy all those premiership uh, memorabilia stuff. Okay. So how does disappointment affect us? In what ways does serious disappointment affect us? Not missing out on the special at Aldi, but those serious disappointments. When we really had our hearts set on something and it didn't eventuate. When we had our faith in somebody and they let us down. How does that impact us? Well, firstly, we, we may lose the sense of our own calling in God. You know that everyone here has got a calling in God. And if our disappointment comes from someone in the church, as it can do, we can say, what's going on with the church? What's going on there? And in such cases, our focus can easily move from our own personal call to just seeing whatever's wrong in the church. And I've seen that happen many, many times in my pastoral career. That people are disappointed by someone in the church and they lose sight of the calling that they have in God. Another way we might be affected is we may be turned aside from our very relationship with Jesus. If the person who lets us down is someone who we thought to be so close to Jesus, we might think, Well, if they haven't lived up to the message, what hope is there for me? If they couldn't do it, they seem so close to God, they seem so spiritual and they couldn't do it, what hope is there for me? Is there any power in the gospel at all? Of course there is, but we may feel in that moment that there is not. Or finally, we may allow destructive thinking to take over. That's a serious one. We always knew that there was something wrong with that church. We always knew that there was something wrong with that family, with that movement. So we make it our business to extend an individual's failure to the whole kit and caboodle. And that's a really poisonous side of disappointment. So easy a trap to fall into when we want to tar everyone and everything with the same brush because we've been disappointed. You know, it's a bit like, um, by extension, uh, when we, he- we hear on the news that there's some dodgy doctor who's been frauding Medicare and his practices haven't been that great either. Not many people walk away from that and say, oh, well, I'm not going to see the doctor anymore because there's a dodgy doctor. Or they read about one of those current affair exposés on dodgy mechanics and they say, oh, I'm never going to take my car to a mechanic again. Now, usually people will 
keep going to the doctor and we'll keep going to the mechanic. But somehow when it comes to the things of God, they put that in a totally different basket and say, well, I've been let down on this point, so I'm going to ditch the whole lot. That's very destructive thinking. Not helpful at all. Anyway, the truth is that we face disappointments both inside and outside the church. Anyone can disappoint us and we can all experience disappointing circumstances. Who's had a disappointment just this week? A fairly, you know, not just a casual disappointment, who's had a fairly strong disappointment this week even? A couple of people. There you go. And most of us have probably, say, experienced that low-level kind. The thing is with disappointment, the closer to us and more trusted that person was, then the impact of our disappointment is more severe in proportion to that relationship. So whether it's a Christian leader, whether it's a a relative, a friend or a workmate, whether it's a disappointment from a failed expectation in life, whatever the source of the disappointment may be, there's one thing I know we'd all agree on today and that is that we do not want to live lives burdened down because we have wrongly handled disappointments. Amen? We don't want to live a burdened down life. We want to live light in Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 11 and verse 29 to 30. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the way Jesus wants to live. He wants us to live light. He wants us to live unburdened. Unburdened by sin and unburdened by disappointments, discouragements, anxiety, all the kinds of things we've been talking about. Let me just show you something. When we get... um, disappointed or when we suffer other kinds of negative experiences in life we can sometimes find ourselves like trapped in a room it's a room with a door Um, trapped in a room by our experience and uh, we're in the midst of this negativity and it sort of boxes us in and we find it hard to move beyond that thing but you know uh, God comes with his word and the light that comes with it. And he comes into our our room, he comes into our prison cell as it were, and he brings his word and he brings his light. And what we can often do is instead of responding to that, we can retreat into a corner of our room and we can lock ourselves in. We can stay in the midst of all those negative repercussions. Does he understand that? Is that clear what I'm saying? We can stay in the midst of that thing and not find relief. But the purpose of God's word and God's light coming to us is that we might come out and find freedom. That's what God wants for us. In every disabling situation and circumstance, God wants to take us out of this locked up place and bring us to a place of freedom. That's where lightness is. That's where health is. That's where... Freedom truly is in Christ. That's what he wants for us. He doesn't want anybody to be kept in that box of negativity. 
So there are some real action steps that we can take, some biblical action steps we can take so that we don't get burdened down with disappointment. But the thing is, because of the way God operates, as long as we want to hold on to that thing, God is not going to grab you by the ankles and drag you out. He doesn't do that. He gives us, gives us lights, he gives us word, he gives us the opportunity to step into freedom. But the obligation is always with you and me to move out with that. And that's what I hope we can do today. So what's some biblical responses to disappointment? Firstly, remember that God has called you to be faithful before him. God has called you to be faithful before him. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So when you're facing disappointment, let your first look always be to your calling as a follower of Jesus. You have a job to do in Christ. Everyone here today who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a God-given task to discharge, which is called your calling. Every one of us here. There's no exceptions. Whether you're a teenager here today, a young person, an adult, uh, an over 70, we all have a calling to do. And you are not excused or relieved of duty because someone messes up around you. Can I say that again? You are not excused or relieved from duty because someone messes up around you. You still have a calling on your life. You don't get to throw in the towel just because someone else didn't do their part. As disappointing as it can be when that happens, you do not have the freedom to throw in the towel. It simply doesn't work that way. And even if it's a circumstance, even if things don't pan out the way we expected. That does not excuse us either. The Apostle Paul was planning to go to Spain to preach the gospel. Who thinks that was a good object to do? Who thinks that was good? Seven of us? Well, it was. It was a worthy aim. There's no doubt about it. Paul thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach the gospel in Spain. But God had other ideas and God ordained that he would go to Rome. And not only would he go to Rome but he would go to a Roman prison. He'd go to a Roman prison. The good side for us is that rather than spitting the dummy because things didn't work out the way he'd hoped, Paul wrote a large part of the New Testament in the form of his letters to Philemon, to the Philippians, the Colossians and Ephesians. Paul wrote them there in prison. So Paul didn't sit there in his cell and say, well... God, I had Spain planned. It was a beautiful time of the year. I was going to get a bit of a suntan. Fantastic. And I would have preached the gospel and seen people come to know Jesus. And now I'm in a prison cell. Woe is me. That's it. I've had it. Well, that wasn't Paul's response. And that's evidenced by these letters he wrote. And neither should it be our response. It doesn't have to be our response either. To throw in the towel because our circumstances didn't work out. Second thing we can do, and this is getting a bit searching, but consider your own imperfections. 
as we consider the way others have disappointed us, consider our own imperfections. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that all encompasses us all. All have sinned. So often said, isn't it? There but for the grace of God go I. That thing in another that so sorely has disappointed you, are you above that sin? That thing that you're really angry about and disappointing them, are you above that sin? Reflect on what happened to them and ask yourself honestly, am I open or even close to a similar failure? Have I even actually in the past been guilty of the same trespass that I'm now so offended by in another? The honest answer may be difficult, but it's a question that we need to ask in the face of disappointment. Look at ourselves. The third thing, as we look out again, is to remember that God can redeem anyone. God can redeem anyone. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. God is in the business of restoration, of redemption. That's what God does. That's his business. And God does not base his desire to restore in regard to how much hurt that person has caused. That is not the basis of God's desire to restore. God's desire to restore is based on the value of the redeeming work of Jesus on Calvary's cross. That's what he bases his desire on. A redeeming work that covers every sin including that which has so much disappointed you in another. God wants to restore that person. He wants to heal them. He wants to forgive them. He wants to restore them. It doesn't mean they're going to get away with what they did. You don't have to worry about that. That's not your problem. What you need to know is that God wants to restore that person. Next thing we can do is affirm that our faith is in Jesus, not in human beings, nor is it in changeable circumstances. Psalm 118 and verse 8 says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. 1 Corinthians 3.5 What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And if you're a new Christian, what that's talking about is in the early church, people were siding with this fellow called Apollos were siding with the Apostle Paul and saying they were disciples of his or disciples of his. And uh, Paul saying, well, that, that is immaterial. What it matters is we follow Christ. We don't follow a man. And whilst it is good to show respect and honour, I believe in that. I think that's an important part of life. It's an important part of life, church, church life. It, respect and honour is one thing. Deifying is quite another. And if you want to deify a person, if you want to put a person on a pedestal, let me assure you of one thing. You don't know them well enough. Anytime we want to lift a person up there and put them up there and <clears throat> say they're this and say they're that and deify them, 
We simply don't know them well enough. And I include in that all of our Christian megastars. You know, our, you, know you, you can name them off. You know, your John MacArthur's and your, um, even Billy Graham. And you name them. Don't deify man. And we pray that those guys will go right to the end and, and, and uh, um, finish strong. But many haven't. And, and placing our faith in man is going to lead to disappointment at some point. You know, I went to a, a dinner party once in the States and a couple there was from John MacArthur's church. This is no reflection on John MacArthur. He's a great uh, author, speaker, great man of God. But at this party where I was at, for, I was sitting next to these people for about two hours and it was, John says this, John says that, and they weren't talking about the Bible, we're talking about the gospel. John says this. John would say that. John, and if I heard it once, I heard it, I reckon, 50 times that night without exaggeration. Those people are in danger of deifying John MacArthur. And if something happened to John MacArthur, if there was a moral lapse or something, those people's lives must, must crash because he's up there. <clears throat> he's not. He's just a man. He's just a man. As is anyone who... Uh, is amongst just men, just women, and uh, we do well not to deify people. No one is without fault, including us. And given enough time and opportunity, we will all let people down in great ways or small. We'll let people down, it's just part of being human. So we don't put our faith in man. And uh, as far as circumstances go, it is absolutely reasonable as a Christian, to pray for and hope for good outcomes. I do that. But if your faith is based on always having good outcomes, you'll discover sooner or later that is not reality. If that is your God, good outcomes. Well, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm go, I must get that best job. I must get that healing. I must get that uh, financial security. If your faith is in good outcomes rather than God himself you're going to be disappointed. Now let me balance that by saying every time someone comes out for prayer, I pray for their healing and believe for their healing. Absolutely. I believe as I pray that God will heal them. Do I know that God will heal them? Of course I don't. Do they all get healed? No, they don't. Some do. Praise God. God is still in the miracle working uh, business. But my faith is not in that outcome. My faith is in God himself. Does that make sense? Am I being clear? But if your faith is that life is just going to be up and up and up and up, I tell you what, you're going to get disappointed at some stage and that may be the departure of your faith in God because that has been your God and not God. You've got to be really careful. And there's a th theology afoot in the world, more, more entrenched in America and Australia, but it's here in Australia as well, where God must give you good outcomes. But that's not biblical theology. It's not biblical theology. And one day, folks, don't want to bring a downer on you, we're all going to die. We're going to have that really serious sickness you're not going to recover from, and like Paul and everyone else before us, you're going to die. And it, no, you can claim it, name it, and fame it, whatever you want to do, but you're going to be in the box the same as the people before you. 
And so, John, aren't you a man of faith? Absolutely I am. But my faith is in Jesus, not in outcomes. Not in outcomes. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. So the Bible says. We've lost people in this congregation in recent times for all kinds of things, foul cancers and stuff like that. Do we give up on God because we don't get the outcome we want? Is John and David giving up in God because they didn't get the the outcome they wanted with Thora? No. Because their faith is in Christ. Hallelujah. Don't be the cause of your own disappointments by failing to show to be discerning. Um, Proverbs three twenty one says, "My son, preserve uh, sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight." Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see where they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You don't want to be careful as I say this, but some people set themselves up for disappointment by, by lacking discernment, by simply lacking wisdom. They place unwise faith and confidence in others due to a, a misunderstood concept of not judging. God does not want you to blindly apply faith to other people. Now, I'm not talking about uh, a spirit of suspicion where we're always looking for the fault in somebody, but God has given us a brain to use. And discerning that someone has an issue that you cannot trust them with is not judging. Well, it is, but it's not the judging the Bible's talking about. We've got to function with that judgment in the world. Parents here, let's say someone puts a a sign up in the milk bar, babysitter for hire, and we look into that babysitter and find, well, seems to be a fine person, but they have been to prison for pedophilia. pedophilia. Now, are you going to not judge and hire them as a babysitter? Yes or no? No. Is it an absolute no? It should be absolutely No. Judging, discerning. Discerning that person cannot be trusted with my young children. Say, oh, John, but you've got to show love to them. I've got to show love first to my children. To put them in the hands of someone who I cannot reasonably trust is unwise. And sometimes people find disappointment because they trust people they never should have trusted. Be discerning. Be discerning. Been pastoring for 30 years and uh, I've seen a lot and, and sadly, and I'm not being sexist here, sadly the, the ladies get the, the most burden here, don't they? Trusting men they never should have trusted in the first place because men can always shoot through. It's women who are left with children and other circumstances and men can always shoot through, and often do. And sometimes those women trust another guy who's as bad, and then another guy. And I'm not getting on single mums, hear me. But we've got to be wise. And sometimes we've got to stop a habit pattern too and say, I'm going to exercise judgment. I'm going to exercise wisdom. I'm not going to set myself up for yet another disappointment. Can you hear the heart of what I'm saying? I'm not jumping on top of anybody here. 
But maybe you need to hear that and maybe it needs to arrest you and say, yeah, that's me, I've got to stop today and be discerning, be judging so I don't suffer more disappointments. That's a word of love, friends. It's not a word of heavy. It's not a heavy word, it's a word of love. Too often we we creep around the edges of things that need to be said. I don't mean this church, I don't think we do that at all. But sometimes, you know, we, we're, we're not, we, we don't say what we should say because of misaligned concepts of love and not judging and all that kind of stuff. Let's not be careless and set ourselves up for disappointment. And finally, and the most important point of all, is to remember that God can heal our hurt. He can heal our disappointment. He can heal all that baggage that comes with it. He can heal it if we give it over to him. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalm 147 verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. If we choose to hang on to those serious disappointments in the form of harbouring resentment or bitterness or revenge or even lasting sadness, then God will have to leave that with you. But if you give it to him, the healing process can begin. And I use that word carefully, begin. Because sometimes, often, it takes time for that healing to take place. Giving your disappointment over to Jesus doesn't mean that it didn't really hurt you. Of course it did. It doesn't mean that what the person did wasn't really that bad. Yes, it was. It doesn't mean they have to get off scot-free for their offence. No. It simply means that I am going to submit my disappointments and all the feelings that go with it to the healing power of the Holy Spirit. That's all it means. It means it's as simple as that. As I said, it may take time, but get on the journey. Don't stay at home coddling your disappointment. Don't stay back there caring for that thing and feeding it and getting other people to come and tell you how, how reasonable it is that you stay in that room. Because they'll be those people. You won't have trouble finding people who are happy to keep you in the room. But get on the journey. Get on the journey with Jesus. As I close, I, I just say, look, it'd be, it'd be great if we lived in a world where everyone was exactly as they presented themselves to be. It'd be great to live in a world where a promise was a promise and that was it. That'd be great. It'd be great to live in a world where people couldn't be easily turned away from God's truth by by sex or by money or by fame. It'd be great to live in a world where the things we think will happen, the things we think should happen, always do. Reality is we don't live in that world just yet and we are not part of a universal church that is like that either. So be aware and be prepared. If you feel let down by others, don't let that bring you down. Don't carry it in a way that Jesus never intended 
you to. You can actually refuse. Now listen to me carefully. You can actually refuse to allow the sin of other people to take root in your heart in any way. You can actually refuse that. Pray for people who've let you down. Have a part in their redemption if you can. That is often not possible. If you feel the circumstances of life have, have uh, let you down, why not take a fresh look at them and say to God, show me how all things can work together for good in this thing. And in the midst of serious disappointment, that can be a really brave prayer. I know there are ladies sitting in this congregation today without even knowing all your stories. There are ladies here who conceived a child and prayed so desperately for a good outcome, for a healthy baby. And somewhere along the path, maybe early, maybe late, they didn't get that good outcome. Were they wrong to believe for a good outcome? No. But the disappointment of what is not to be, you know, can be crushing. It can be really crushing. And it can be, take a really brave person to say, God, show me how all things work together for good in that, in that huge disappointment. Say, it's a really brave prayer. But why can't that be you? Why can't that be you, the brave follower of Jesus? One day, one day God will remove every disappointment, every tear, every regret, but we're not there yet. In the meantime, with God's grace working in us, and I encourage you to take good care of your own heart. Just take good care of your own heart. Determined by faith that you are going to continue to serve Jesus in, faithful, in faithfulness no matter what form the disappointments of this life will take. Amen. Let's stand together and we're just going to pray just right where we are. We're just going to invite. Let's just close our eyes and if you're feeling you've got a disappointment that you want to hand back to God, you want to hand to God, and all the feelings that are associated with it, just, just lift your hand. You just want to hand that back to Jesus today. A number of people. Let's do that right now. Father God, we take the disappointments, Lord, that have come against us, that have come upon us, that at times have even crushed us in our spirit, where we felt that we didn't even want to get out of bed. Lord, somehow we've dragged ourselves back into life and yet still these things have hung on and they oppress us even today. But Lord, we want to hand those things back to you. We want to hand those disappointments over to you. We want to hand the feelings that go with those disappointments over to you. And we say, Lord Jesus, take them in your hands. Spirit, fill me afresh today with 
Step out of that room and into freedom because you, Lord God, have made it possible for me today. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people.